This is Jeremiah 23. God is denouncing the shepherds who are not watching over the flock, the Israelites, who have been scattered uh, to Babylonia and other areas. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people. You have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them. And I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed. Neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when they shall no longer say, as the Lord lives who brought up the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. But as the Lord lives who brought up and led the offspring of the house of Israel out of the north country and out of all the countries where he had driven them, then they shall dwell in their own land. The word of the Lord. Well, I first of all want to make a comment concerning a concern of mine with this church. Uh, it is no shave November, and yet as I look out upon you, I see uh, clean-shaven faces. Uh, you're clearly not following our liturgical calendar uh, before we get into Advent with no shave November. I, however, are slavishly uh, obeying this until my wife says, get out, and then we'll see what happens. But uh, nonetheless, No Shave November, I encourage you to participate in that. My children are holding me to it. Uh, women, there is a place for you in this ridiculous holiday as well. Uh, if you walk into Hallmark, there are No Shave November cards. You may want to pass one uh, to a friend. Um, that has nothing to do with anything. Let's continue. I want to talk about leadership today. Uh, leadership is an important uh, part and issue in this country currently, isn't it? We recently had uh, votes, opportunity to express uh, uh, your support of a particular candidate. Uh, presidential election is, is barreling down. And um, leadership seems to become more and more important. Uh, it's quite astounding the amount of money that political leaders will spend now in order to try to get one seat because they understand that the balance of power is so... Uh, is so fragile and so close. The ability to sway a policy, uh, you know, is, is separated by maybe a dollar or two at the end. Our leadership of our country, though, can be called into question. If you ask the average Joe on the street or you take a look at the various polls that are out there, confidence in our leaders is at an all-time low. It seems that there's a cynicism in our country or a sense of, I'm trying to choose uh, from the best of all evils. And some people have just thrown up their hands and said, I don't want to participate in the political process at all. Leadership is in trouble in family, isn't it? 
Families more and more are splitting apart. The nuclear family is a joke, if you will, in our country today. We see the sociological effects of fragmented families, of kids who are lacking people who are in their lives, who are guiding them, who are helping them to grow up in the way they should be. Even in families where there are dual parents, perhaps the amount of work that is required of them, the insidiousness of technology and all of the things that move into our lives are pushing us in such a way that that leadership is not being passed down and so the family is in trouble. We have to, I have to point a finger at the church as well. Because by all accounts, the church is in trouble. Membership in churches is down. People are fleeing the church, choosing to do something else rather than be a part of a body, a spiritual body. Confidence in pastors, frankly, is not that much higher than confidence in politicians. I delay as long as possible communicating what I do for a living because I never know how people are going to respond as they have this sense of, uh, of uh, the issue of charlatans and snake oil dealers and people who are leading people from the truth. It doesn't seem um, to take long before you see another news article of uh, a religious leader who's fallen from grace, whether because of some sexual uh, misconduct or, or embezzling or something. Leadership is in trouble in the church. The challenge of leadership is that leadership is a high-leverage position because a leader has the ability to influence, to move people. We instinctively look for leaders. Anybody knows that if you want to try to accomplish something, a group of people coming together, you need leaders to be able to help guide, to be able to help inspire, to be able to help motivate. It's in a time of crisis that we look to leaders to help give us guidance. I think of an article, and if you work for the U.S. Corps of Engineers, please forgive me, uh, but this is a scathing article. It was a lawsuit. It was regarding the um, Hurricane Katrina and what went wrong. And if you remember in Hurricane Katrina, it was an absolute disaster. Uh, I think it was $90 billion worth of damage, 1,800 lives lost. Well, the fingers began to point. Who was it that actually caused all of these problems? And a big culprit was named, and certainly not the only one, and certainly not the entire institution. But the U.S. Corps of Engineers, responsible for maintaining the Mississippi Gulf Outlet Navigation Channel, was found to be guilty of negligence. Judge Duvall, referring to the Corps' approach of maintaining the channel, called it monumental negligence, and he was utterly convinced that the Corps' failure to shore up the channel doomed it to grow to two to three times its design width and create a more forceful frontal wave attack on the levee that protected the St. Bernard and Lower Ninth Worth Parish. The result of that was when the storm came, the waters overflowed. Not just in that area, but monumental damage. Leadership is one of those things that happens often. You don't see it. It's behind the scene. It's shoring up levees. And yet, if those levees are not shored up, when crisis comes, disaster occurs. 
Well, I want to talk about leadership and ask the question, what is the role of the shepherd today? Particularly in the church. Because there's such a low opinion of shepherds, there is a mentality that simply says, remove them. Let's get rid of shepherds. We have no leader except Jesus Christ. No one is above another. We'll go ahead and we'll, we'll do it that way. Well, that's not biblical, nor is it practical. The solution might be, instead of removing them, to remake them. Change them into a leader that we like, a more palatable leader. A leader that will do what we say. A leader that will uh, uh, be ready to answer our wishes. But God calls leaders to so much more than that. The alternative, I think, is to receive them. To find good leaders to make sure that they're qualified. To have structures in place to make sure that they're leading in accordance with what the scripture speaks. To receive them. See, the beauty of the church is the church is not a natural institution. It's a supernatural institution. Jesus said that on this rock, the apostles' testimony shown by Peter, I will build this church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Christ has built an institution and put into it things to help it flourish. And one of those is shepherds. And so we must recognize the role of elders. We must recognize the rule of elders. And we must respond by receiving the elders and their shepherding in our lives. Because Jesus is the good shepherd. He has provided under shepherds to help lead his sheep. And so, let us listen to them. Let's begin with point number one of this sermon, to recognize the role of shepherds. It's interesting, we're looking at the Old Testament as we talk about church leadership. But this chapter, Jeremiah 22, begins with woe. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. In fact, the first 22 chapters of Jeremiah have been filled with woe and scathing rebuke of the people and the leaders of the time. Jeremiah the prophet lived in a troubled time. Israel in the 600s. An Israel who had taken the promised land but who had been unfaithful to following the Lord. Josiah was the last faithful king, the one who was there when Jeremiah was born. But the people had been getting away from following God's word. The people had forsaken God. And so Jeremiah was one of the people, one of the prophets that God had sent to tell them, you are going into exile. God is going to send you away to scatter you, if you will, from this land because you have not been faithful. And so as he's spoken woe to the people, he speaks woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. Notice in verse 1, Jesus claim, excuse me, God the Father, he claims them as his pasture, his people. He has placed these shepherds to watch over them. These shepherds are not only religious, we think of the prophets and the priests of the day, but they're also political. Remember that Israel was governed by the law of God. And as such, the religious, the political leaders were responsible for also uh, leading by God's law. They had different roles, these shepherds. The prophet's job was to reveal the will of God. 
So God would speak and the prophet would come and he would say, as the Lord says. He would reveal to them the will of God. Also by showing them what the word said. The priest's job was to reveal them to God. The prophet revealing the will of God to them. The priest's job to reveal them to God. To stand, if you will, in the gap. To offer sacrifices on their behalf. To uh, uphold the religious requirements so that God's anger would not burn against them. And the king's job was to rule over them. To protect them. To defend them. To make sure that God's word was lifted up. It was a theocracy, unlike our government. Uh, It was a theocracy. The prophet, the priest, and king to feed, to lead, and protect. But these shepherds were not doing anything like that. Jeremiah 5.31, in it, Jeremiah says that the prophets prophesy lies. The priests rule by their own authority, and my people love it. And what about the kings? Woe to the kings, says Jeremiah, who build their palaces of cedar, but neglect their sheep, who neglect the matters of the law. In Jeremiah 10.21, God concludes the shepherds are senseless and do not inquire of the Lord, so they do not prosper at all, and the flock is scattered. There's a malpractice lawsuit that's going on here. The reason that these people have scattered is because of negligence. The shepherds have not been paying attention. They've been busy doing other things. You know, sheep have no sense of direction whatsoever. Zero. There's no homing instinct. There's no homing device. Left to their own devices, they will wander and they will head out. And so clearly there's no, no one calling them. No one watching over them and so they've been negligent. But Jeremiah goes even further. You have driven them away. Not just negligence, but malfeasance. You have actually taken my people and you've pushed them away with your corrupt living. You've taken their lands. You've taken the money that they were supposed to give for sacrifice and you've used it. You have not attended to their spiritual needs. God, the great shepherd, placed shepherds to watch over the flock. And they have failed. And so the consequence we see, God says, Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. I will not neglect you, evil shepherds, but I will attend to you. Not for your care, mind you, but for your punishment. God sees the evil of these shepherds. Even though the people who have been scattered and the people who have chosen evil, they're still God's flock and He still cares for them. Such is the goodness and the grace of the Lord. For even when His people are faithless, He is faithful. And so God will act. I will attend you, evil shepherds. And then verse 3, Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them. They've been scattered to Babylon and Assyria and Persia. I will bring them all back. I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I've, I've driven them. I will bring them back to their fold. And they shall be fruitful and multiply. 
Notice these beautiful words that God himself will gather. He will go and find them and bring them back. He will help them to be fruitful and multiply. You know, the picture of the promised land, the picture of heaven is the word shalom. A land flowing with milk and honey, right? You know, the only reason that a land flows with milk and honey is because the production is so high that it simply overflows. That you have so much more production of milk and honey of the things that you are tending that it just naturally continues to produce. A flourishing that is supposed to occur. That is the heart of God for His people. I will gather you, says the Lord. And then verse 4. I will set shepherds over them or reset shepherds over them who will care for them and they shall fear no more nor be dismayed. Neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. Notice God's plan here is to set shepherds, not simply to do away with them, but rather to set shepherds who will care for them, who will be faithful. And the result of this environment that God is prophesying through Joshua is that they will not fear, nor will they be dismayed, and none of them will be missing. But when is God going to do this? Prophecy so often speaks about the present that is coming in the short term and speaks about what is coming in the long term. And this prophecy here in verse 5 speaks about what is to come. We know that God is gathering the people back and bringing them into Israel. History tells us that. But he speaks of another time. Another branch that is coming up. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. And he shall reign as king and deal wisely. And shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when they shall no longer say, as the Lord lives who brought our people out of Egypt, but as the Lord lives who brought our people, our offspring out of the north country and out of all the countries where he had driven them. And they shall dwell in their own land. I will restore the land I give to the forefathers. In other words, God is going to do something so amazing that though the Israelites used to say, swear by the Exodus account, that it will be as miraculous how God brings the people, a conquered people, a scattered people, not in one place like Egypt, but out of Babylon and brings them back. Well, we know what happens. Who is this righteous branch? Well, in 534 B.C., an edict goes out from the king. God has moved uh, in the king, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, to bring back the people. And they come back, and God anoints shepherds. One of them is named Jeshua, the high priest, along with Zerubbabel, the king. Zechariah 6.12, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, the man whose name is the branch... He shall branch out of this place and he shall build the temple of the Lord. It is he who shall build the temple of the Lord and shall bear royal honor. And there shall be a priest on his throne and the council of peace shall be between them both. And so the word of the Lord comes to them and comes to Josiah and Zerubbabel. Take 
silver and crown and make a crown and set it on the head of Joshua, Yahshua, the, the high priest. God speaks in Jeremiah and it comes to pass. There is faithful men like Ezra and Nehemiah and Zerubbabel and Yeshua or Joshua. Faithful shepherds and God's people come back. But we all know what happens. They're mere humans. They die. And Israel continues in its cycle. But there's a deeper future that is spoken of here, isn't it? Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. Remember the prophecies we speak of in Christmas that's not too far off? That a shoot will come up for the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. Of the increase of his government there will be no end. He will rule the world with an iron scepter and he will establish a kingdom and uphold it with justice and righteousness. This prophecy is speaking of Jesus. He's speaking of the time when Christ comes. And so when Jesus comes, the people are wondering, are we all done here? No more corrupt shepherds. No more under shepherds. We're done. But Jesus does something different. He appoints 12. Does that strike anybody as odd? 12 normal people, sons of Israel. Like 12 tribes. He calls them apostles. He gives them the secrets of the kingdom. He appoints them to go out and to share the gospel. Do you know that Jesus Christ only mentioned the word church twice in the New Testament? Only twice. He speaks the kingdom of God all over the place. And the epistles and the book of Acts, as Jesus' spirit moves, shows us Jesus' plan. But he speaks of the church twice. The first time he speaks, he says, I tell you that you are Peter. Remember when Peter says you are the Christ? On this rock, Peter as the representative of the apostles, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Jesus Christ is a builder. He's building something. And we know in Ephesians 2.20 that the foundation of the church is the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Jesus came to enact a supernatural institution that would be witness to the world of that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. The second time he communicates the word church is in Matthew 18. If there's a problem between you two who are believers, talk to one another. Show him his fault. But in the event he doesn't listen, go get two or three other people. And if that doesn't work, communicate it to the church. And if they refuse to listen, even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. What does it mean to the church? He's speaking to the elders. He's speaking to the under-shepherds. Because as these apostles go out and plant churches, one of the first things they do is they appoint under-shepherds who are called elders. Elders are found in the churches of Judea and the surrounding area. Elders govern the church in Jerusalem. Among the Pauline churches, a plurality of elders was established in the churches of Derby. 
Lystra, Iconium, Antioch, Ephesus, the church at Philippi, uh, Philippi on the island of Crete. <clears throat> Elders existed throughout northeastern, <clears throat> excuse me, Asia Minor, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. This was a part of God's plan from the beginning. The apostles to preach the gospel and then to appoint shepherds who would watch over the flock. And so if this has been part of God's plan all the time, I want to suggest to you that the need for shepherds in the church is as critical as ever. That this prophecy about setting shepherds in Jeremiah over them who will care for them and they shall fear no more nor be dismayed neither shall any be missing declares the Lord is speaking not only of the rebuilding of the temple but is speaking of the church today. I don't know if you ever watch one of my favorite uh, uh, sports programs. It's on ESPN 8, the Ocho. Uh, it's called The Running of the Lemmings. Anybody ever see the running of the lemmings? It's fantastic. It's, this is different from the running of the bulls at Pamplona. Okay, where they actually have a path and it's cordoned off. No, you have to really be there for the running of the lemmings because something happens in the mind of the lemming. We don't fully understand it, though we often uh, uh, resemble it. <laughs> they get this sense that they're supposed to migrate. And they're supposed to go in a certain direction... And so the lemmings begin to run. Well, the problem, particularly in Norway, is uh, Norway doesn't simply uh, go down to the ocean and these lemmings can swim. They have a sense that they're supposed to go to that island or something. No one exactly knows. And so they begin. Without thought, they simply begin to run. And if there is a cliff there, oh well, we've got to get to where we're going. They'll simply run over the cliff and they will kill themselves. They get this sort of anti-something in their body. Um, when the population, um, driven by strong biological ur urges, when the density population becomes too great, they can swim and may choose to cross a body of water in search of new habitat. Uh, habitat. But they may drown if the body of water is so wide as to stretch their capability to the limit. Something is wrong with the lemmings. Let me suggest it is no lemming leadership. Because lemmings can be stupid. Okay, wake up. Is that to indicate that people are stupid? Gosh, Nadia said, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that Jesus refers to the flock as sheep. Sheep don't have a lot of defenses. Now keep in mind, we have the Spirit of God. This is different than the Old Testament. We must look in the perspective of right now. But if Jesus Christ has placed shepherds in the church, does that not mean that sheep need a shepherd still? To help guide people so they won't run off the reservation. To watch over them, to care for them, to know their name. To be able to help build them up and strengthen them in the faith. You know, not everyone becomes a mature Christian right away. Something's wrong there. In fact, it seems that there's this birth process. 
Remember Jesus with Nicodemus? You shall be, you must be born again to become a Christian. A baby Christian who doesn't know a whole lot but is a new creation in Christ. God has given shepherds to the church to shepherd and oversee the church. And so we must recognize the role of elders. The role of elders in your life. So my question to you is, do you? Yeah, I know we got leaders. We got to have leaders. Somebody's got to keep role or something like that. But far be it for them to ever challenge me. To ever be involved in my personal life. I don't want that. I want to have a safe distance. I don't want anyone to be messing in my business. And so leaders in the church, for you are they simply somebody who's over there and I can take and leave whatever it is that I want? Or do you recognize that the people that God is putting in this church, if you are a member of the church, God has specifically picked for you and are needed by you to be able to grow into the person that who you're designed to be. We're not interested as elders at sort of sitting in an ivory tower somewhere and making high-level decisions. That's part of the role of an elder. But the role of an elder is to shepherd, to know you, to know your strengths and weaknesses, your hopes and dreams. And part of your responsibility is to open your life and heart to us. I'm the one person, as well as Barry and Ken, who you have chosen, that you should be able to be a mess with. Don't spend time with me having it all together. I'm the one person that you get to not have that with. Because you need some people to come into your life. You need side people to come into your life. And you need shepherds and elders. And we want to be a church that is about that. So recognize the role of elders. To be a member of this church is to recognize the role of elders, the critical role of it in this church. This brings me to my second point. If you recognize the role of elders, you must recognize the rule of elders. 1 Peter 5.1 Paul says, So I exhort the elders, the fellow elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Why are we Presbyterian? Interesting word. Presbyterian means elder. Why aren't we like the Episcopal Church, a hierarchical church? There's some people, some churches you go to where there is a priest and then there is a bishop. And there may even be an archbishop. I used to belong to a church like that. Part of the reason we're not is because this is what the scriptures say. Notice this verse, this section in First Peter. I exhort you, he's speaking to elders as a fellow elder, which means presbuteros. Elder here is supposed to be meaning wisdom, um, recognized person. Shepherd the flock that is among you. The word shepherd 
Poemen means pastor. Pastor the flock that is among you. Now you refer to me as pastor, but the elders we are going to elect are actually pastors as well. So when you use the word elder, they are pastors. They are what are referred to as ruling elders, while I am a teaching elder. But they are shepherds. Their responsibility and privilege is to shepherd you. Exercising oversight. That word oversight is episkopos in Greek. Which means bishop. Which means that I'm not only a pastor. I'm not only an elder. But I'm a bishop. Don't call me bishop by the way. I don't like that whole thing. It's kind of weird. Okay. But the role is the important one. There is no bishop somewhere else. The role bishop call it in its proper sense, means oversight. The pastor is an elder, a a pastor, and a bishop at the same time, and so are the elders. So we must recognize their rule. Remember the roles of prophet and priest and teacher. We must, excuse me, prophet, priest, and king, we must move them into their New Testament context There is one person who is in charge of this church. You know who it is? It's Jesus Christ. He is the head of this church. By his word, he is the chief shepherd. And he appoints.